chapter 11. Now, while you guys are turning to that, this is a passage that is, uh, that is kind of making a shift, I guess we could say, and that is, it speaks of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This, this begins what will be the final week of Jesus' life, and, and it's a shift because through the first two-thirds of, of the book of Mark, we have seen probably three years' worth of Jesus' ministry. But here in these last five, six chapters, uh, they only cover one week of Jesus' life. And that's the same in all the gospel accounts. When we look at the four different gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the same type of thing. The, the first two-thirds, three-fourths of the book covers about three years of Jesus' life. And then the, the, the majority of the last third, last 25% of the book only focuses on this one week of Jesus' life. I think that should show us that there is definitely some significance as to what takes place here in this last week in that all four gospel accounts really donate the largest portion of their time to this one week's worth of events. Now, throughout the four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, we see that some of them cover one event, some another. Uh, we see that sometimes there may be two or three that cover one thing, but the other doesn't. But there are some events that all four gospel accounts will cover, and this is one of those events. Now, before this last week of Jesus' life, there are very few events that Jesus took part in that all four gospel accounts cover. But toward the end of each book, there is a lot of things that takes place in the last week of Jesus' life that all four gospel accounts cover, and this is one of those things. Now, if you would like some homework for this week, uh, I would encourage you to read all four of these accounts. There are some similarities and there are some differences, and we'll talk about some of those differences today uh, as we go through this passage. But if you want to read these accounts on your own, the section that covers this triumphal entry of Jesus, you can find those in Matthew chapter 21, Luke chapter 19, John chapter 12, and of course here in Mark 11. And if you flip to those chapters, you can find the section pretty easily that speaks about the triumphal entry. And so this was a big event that was taking place. This was Jesus coming into Jerusalem to fulfill what he was sent to this earth to do. And that is he would go on to give his life on a cross for the forgiveness of sins for all who would come to him. And this event that we see today is a pretty significant event. This is an event that uh, we often talk about around Easter time. Or we uh, refer to Palm Sunday, and that's, that's the events that we are seeing here today. That's what we celebrate. When we celebrate Palm Sunday, we are celebrating that day that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. So uh, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in, in these different gospel accounts. That's why I would encourage you to read through them. Probably won't take you 20 minutes to read all of them. And uh, it may be good to get a piece of paper and, and you can mark some of the differences and some of the things that maybe one, one author points out that another one doesn't. And when you put all those pieces together, uh, you get a good picture of really what was taking place. Uh, but if you'd like to do that this week, uh, I'll leave that up to you. But we're going to we're going to read through all of the text this morning, then we'll pray, and then we'll kind of break down this event. And 
Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We'll read the first 11 verses. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a young donkey outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the donkey? They answered them just as Jesus had said. So they let them go. Then they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their robes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their robes on the road and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. The coming kingdom of our father David is blessed. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this event that took place when Jesus Christ went into Jerusalem for this final time. And God, I pray that as we look at these texts today, that we would see the praise that Jesus was, was given by those who were there and excited to see his arrival. And God, I pray that when we see Jesus in your word, God, that when we experience Jesus in our life, that we also praise Jesus in such a way, dear Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would help me to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to help us today, God, as we look at it and try our best to understand it and grow in it. God, I pray that you are glorified this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story starts off in a way that, that, that may seem kind of strange in what Jesus asked the disciples to do. As they were drawing near Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of the disciples into town and told them to bring back a donkey, that they would find a donkey tied there, and they were to take this donkey and bring it back to him. Now, I don't know what the disciples were thinking when they heard this. Perhaps they were thinking, what in the world is he talking about? And then Jesus said, when you take the donkey, if anybody says anything, just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, that to me would sound like an odd thing. Like, we're just supposed to go into town and get a donkey. And if somebody says something, just tell them the Lord needs it. And that will make it okay. Now, Maybe the disciples had some questions in their mind, too, as Jesus was telling them to do this. Or perhaps they didn't. Maybe they understood exactly what Jesus was telling them. There was a prophecy that took place in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it talks about the king who's coming, that God is going to send, and he's going to come into town and be riding on a donkey. Now, it's very possible 
that the 12 understood. When Jesus said what he said, maybe the light bulb went off and they said, ah, it's the prophecy of Zechariah. Now, Jesus had already told them, if you remember from chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, he had been telling them what was going to take place, that he would soon give his life, that, his, uh, that, that the Pharisees and his enemies would come against him and that he was going to give his life. And he had spelled it out for them pretty clearly as we've seen in the last three chapters. So maybe their mind was already beginning to work. And maybe when Jesus told them to go get this donkey, it clicked and they said, oh yeah, I, I, I see what's going on here. Although I don't know that that was the case because of something that John tells us in his gospel. In John's gospel, as this event is unfolding and Jesus is going into town on the donkey. It says that the disciples didn't understand what was going on. But once Jesus was glorified, that is once he gave his life on the cross and was resurrected, it said at that point that the disciples looked back to this event and they said, Aha, now we get it. So I don't know that the disciples fully understood what Jesus was telling them to do, but whether they understood what he was telling them to do, they were obedient to do it, even as crazy as it may have seemed. Now, this may be a good lesson for us. Well, no, it, it, it's not. It may be. It is a good lesson for us. There may be things that Jesus calls us to do as his disciples that we do not understand things that may be difficult for us to do, things that may be just as difficult as going into town. Could you imagine today going into town and seeing a car parked on the street with the keys in it, and you get in the car, and you crank it up, and you begin to back up, and people say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? That's not your car. You say, it's okay. The Lord told me to get it. Oh, okay. Well, the Lord needs you to use it. Go ahead with it. Now, you can imagine that that probably would not be the response, and maybe that's a sign that God was working miraculously here in what the disciples did. That the people simply said, oh yeah, go ahead and take the donkey. Now, I don't know what the, what the culture was like then. Maybe it was common for people to take donkeys and bring them back at a later date. I really don't know. But this is what Jesus told the disciples to do, and they were obedient to him. They did exactly what he said, and guess what happened? It worked out exactly the way he told them. They did what he said. They said, look, this is what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord needs this. And everything fell into place exactly as it was supposed to. Now, this is not just a coincidence, I don't believe. And I, I believe that God still works in a similar way today. That there are things that God may call us to do. Situations that God may call us to handle a certain way, or whatever it may be. And we say, boy, there's no way that's going to work. There's no way. And we do what God calls us to do, what we feel God is leading us to do. And we are sometimes probably shocked at the response of how easy things went, at how smooth things were, at how the response that we got from the work that we did or the thing that God called us to do was not at all what we expected. And that's what we see for the disciples. They went into town. They were obedient to God. Now, I don't know what they expected. Perhaps they expected things to go exactly like Jesus said, or maybe they were thinking, I don't know about this. But they were obedient. Even if they were unsure, they were obedient. And the same needs to be true for you and I. As we read a little further, 
It says in verse 4 that they went and they found the donkey, they untied the donkey, and they brought the donkey back to Jesus, and he sat on it. Now, I want to point this out to you because there's a little bit of a difference in this passage and what we see in Matthew chapter 21. Now, in Matthew chapter 21, we see that there are two donkeys mentioned, that there was a mama donkey and a baby donkey, and that the disciples brought both of them back to Jesus. Now, I point this out because this is one of the things that some people would point out and say, here is proof of a, of a discrepancy in the Bible. Here is a contradiction in the Bible. Now, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that something is only a contradiction if both passages, if both accounts cannot be true. Now, even though these accounts differ, they can both be true. Now, it's very possible that when the disciples went into town to get the donkey, they did get two donkeys. And that would resemble very closely what the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 says. It's possible that they did get two donkeys, and I would say probable. I don't think that Matthew made that up. I don't think he said, well, let me just say this because this is what the prophecy says. I think it's, it's very likely and probable that they did get two donkeys. Uh, but Mark does not cover that. He only covers one. And the reason for that probably is that's the one that Jesus wrote on. Now, Mark often is very much to the point, as we've seen through these first ten chapters. Uh, he doesn't often give details that are really unnecessary. Mark is not saying here that two donkeys were not obtained. He's simply pointing out the one that was of the most significance. And that is the one that Jesus wrote on. And so I believe when we look at these accounts of this event together... It's probable and likely that two donkeys were obtained and brought to Jesus, and Jesus sat on the colt. He sat on the young donkey as he went into town, and Mark simply did not tell us that detail. Now, there's one other thing to consider when we look at this passage, and that is when we look at the Matthew passage, well, let's flip over to it so we can see exactly what it says. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I'll only spend a few minutes on this because I, I don't think it's insignificant because this is the type of thing that sometimes we may uh, be challenged with by people who, who reject God's Word. And so uh, even though we see some of these differences sometimes, I think it's important for us to see, uh, to talk about them so we can have a defense and kind of understand better ourselves why these differences may take place and, and what exactly they may mean. Now, there's, there's one, one little phrase here in this Matthew passage that, that sometimes may throw people for a loop, uh, but we're going to talk about that right now. Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. Matthew 21, verses 6 and 7. It says, the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their robes on them, and he sat on them. Now that last little part there, he sat on them. Now, 
does that mean that Jesus sat on both of the donkeys? That would seem almost impossible. They were probably different heights. Uh, it, would, it, would, it would be very difficult for someone to sit across two donkeys. How would that even take place? Would you, would you sit your bottom on one and stretch your legs across the other? Would you straddle your legs out very wide and just try to keep the donkeys close together so you could make the fit between the two of them? In our mind, we can't even really visualize that. Uh, we can't make heads or tails of that. Now, perhaps we've seen people ride multiple animals at once. I know when we went to the to Dolly Parton Stampede, one of the one of the tricks that they do is someone will come out and they'll be riding two horses. They'll be straddling two horses. But I don't believe that that's at all what Jesus was doing here, and I don't think that that's what the text means. It may appear as though that's what it means when we read it at first glance, that they put their robes on the donkeys and Jesus sat on them. But a more likely reading, and probably what Matthew was saying here, is when it says that Jesus sat on them, he was not saying Jesus sat on both donkeys. He was saying that Jesus sat on the robes. In the verse before, or a few words before, that they put their robes on them and Jesus sat on them. Now, the them that Jesus sat on probably refers to the robes that the people, that the disciples had placed on the donkey. And so this is a very simple answer to a question that some people may bring up. And some people may say, hi, here's a contradiction. So you're telling me Jesus straddled two donkeys. Well, that's not, I believe, at all what Matthew is telling us here. I believe what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus sat on them. That is, the robes that had been placed on the donkeys. Let's go back to Mark chapter 11 and continue along. Now, verse 8, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 11, verse 8. Many people spread their robes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. And so you can imagine this excitement that's beginning to build among these people who are witnessing Jesus as he is coming into Jerusalem. Now, it's possible, as we mentioned a while ago, that some of this crowd knew about this prophecy in Zechariah. Now, we've seen several prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled up to this point. Sometimes, some of the people of Jesus' day got it. They knew that Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies. Others did not get it, uh, mainly the Pharisees that we see quite frequently that don't seem to understand that the things that Jesus is doing is indeed fulfilling these prophecies. So it is possible that there are some who knew the writings of Zechariah, and when they saw Jesus coming into town on the donkey, they put the pieces together and said, here comes the Messiah. It's possible that was the case. It's possible that even if they weren't aware or didn't put the pieces together, that this was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. It's possible that they just saw Jesus and knowing what he had done and believing who he was, that they simply came out and began to praise him and show him this honor and respect. Now, regardless of what they knew or didn't know, it really doesn't matter. What matters is their response when they saw the Messiah coming. They were excited. 
They knew that he was worthy of respect. They knew that he was worthy of honor. And they began to take their robes off and they began to take the, the big leafy branches of palm trees and they began to place them on the road in front of him. Now, I don't really know why exactly they did that. When you go back and look at historical writings, it appears as though this was something that would have been done for kings, for people of honor, that people would do this, although we don't really see this in Scripture. Some have suggested that this was similar to what God commanded in the Old Testament at the time of the festival of booths where they were to take branches and they were to wave them about as they praised the Lord. And it's possible that's what these people had in mind, although these events would not have taken place around the time of the festival of, of booths. And in the festival of booths, they weren't putting these branches on the ground. They were simply waving them to the Lord. But it's possible that since uh, in that command in the Old Testament that it was a time to praise the Lord with these branches, perhaps that was the mindset as they laid these branches and these robes on the ground, or perhaps this was just a cultural thing, something that we see not just in this culture, but we see in other cultures uh, in history when it comes to honoring kings. Whatever their motives were, again, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they were praising the Messiah as he come into town. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine just for a second as Jesus begins to approach Jerusalem and he's, and he's on this donkey and these people begin to gather. They begin to come. They begin to see Jesus coming and he's, and he's sitting on this donkey and these branches are being placed on the ground as he can see people coming and throwing their robes and they are praising him. Can you imagine the excitement that was in the air. And indeed, there was much excitement, as we see from all four gospel accounts, as the way was prepared for Jesus. But not everybody that day was excited about what was taking place. We see more details of that in Luke chapter 19 and in John chapter 12. The Pharisees, no big shocker here, were not at all excited about what was taking place. The Pharisees, as Jesus was coming into town on this donkey, and many in the crowds were praising and, and, and yelling out praises to the Lord, the Pharisees told Jesus, you need to shut these people up. You need to tell them to be quiet. That's what Luke records for us, a detail that Mark doesn't tell us. But the Pharisees approached Jesus and said, look, you need to tell your disciples to calm down. And Jesus said something that was, that was pretty, pretty uh, amazing, I think. He said, even if, even if these people didn't praise me, the stones would praise me. Isn't that something? Jesus says, even if I shut all of these people up, you cannot stop the praise that is going to come to me. Even the stones would cry out. Isn't that something? Now, the Pharisees, if it had been up to the Pharisees, the stones would have had to have cried out because they were not going to cry out for the Lord. Now, this is a good, uh, a good thing for us to consider. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want it to be left up to the stones to praise the Lord. I would rather be found praising the Lord myself. And we need to be faithful to do that when we experience Jesus, I say experience Jesus, we don't 
experience Jesus in the same way that the crowds here did. We're not seeing Jesus come down Lower Liberty Gloucester Road, uh, and we're not putting palm trees down, but we experience Jesus in a different way. We experience Jesus in God's Word. We experience Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We, we, we know that God is with us, as we see in Jesus' very title, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. When we commune with God, when we pray with God, when we live in obedience to God, we experience Jesus. And when we experience Jesus, we need to be praising Jesus. We don't want to be like the Pharisees, and leave it up to the stones to cry out. We want to be like the crowd who sees Jesus. And in their experience of Jesus, they call out to Jesus. They praise Jesus. Now the Pharisees we see in John chapter 12, he gives us some more examples. Now in John's account, not long before these events took place, uh, we see that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Now, no doubt this caused a stir. It excited a lot of people. And so when the Pharisees, in all of their wisdom, saw one of the greatest miracles that could ever be done, a person raised from the dead, their response was not, Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah. What a mighty work you have done. This could only have been done through God. We praise you. Now you would think that would have been the response of everybody around. And it was the response of some people. But not the Pharisees. In John's account in John 12, he references that. You know what the Pharisees did when they heard and saw that uh, Lazarus had been raised from the dead? Well, they said, well, we got to kill him again. What? They, they see a miracle take place and their response is, let's destroy the miracle that Jesus Christ has done and destroy Jesus also. And as Jesus comes into town during this event in John's account, he talks about the Pharisees and how they gather around and, talk, and are talking about, boy, what are we going to do? Look what's happened now. We thought we were going to solve our problem with Lazarus, but now look what's happened. See what the people are doing? They've seen this miraculous work, and now they're following this Jesus. They were mad because the people of their day were following Jesus. Why would they be mad about that? Because if they're following Jesus, then it would be impossible for them to follow the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't care about Jesus, and they probably really didn't care about the rest of God's people. They cared about having the power and control and being religious. But Jesus come and he shattered that. He broke that religion. And people were leaving religion and they were seeking the Son of God. They were seeking the Messiah. And the Pharisees, when this event took place and they saw these crowds and they were, they were praising God, they were gathered around, they were putting their robes on the road in front of Jesus... They were laying branches on the road in front of Jesus. They could not take it. And so this, this began to put into motion the events that would take place just a few days after this triumphant entry. There were a lot of people who were praising Jesus' coming into town. And there were a group that were plotting his death 
as he rode into town on these donkeys. Mark chapter 11, verse 9. Then those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, He who comes in the name, excuse me, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. The coming kingdom of our father David is blessed. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now when we see this word Hosanna, this is not a word that we see very often in Scripture. Hosanna is what is called a transliteration. That is, we take what the letters look like in Greek, and when we look at those, we just pronounce it in the way that we would pronounce those letters. So it's not translated here in, in that it's telling us what Hosanna means. Many of the phrases that we see in Scripture, we simply see the translation of the word. We don't see the Greek or the Hebrew. But there are a few words that are referred to as transliterations. That is, Hosanna is not an English word, but we just simply say the word Hosanna from what the Greek or, in some cases, Hebrew words look like. That's how we pronounce them. Now, in this account, Hosanna here is a transliteration. Now, if this was translated for us, it would say something like, uh, God save us, or we pray that God would save us. That would be the translation of this word here. Now, Mark leaves the word Hosanna, and it's a beautiful word, and maybe even we sing in our songs sometimes, or we hear songs in which the word Hosanna is used, and that's simply a prayer for God to save us. And so when the people here are yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, they are saying, God, save us. God, we pray that you would save us. Now, they are yelling this out to Jesus because they recognize that he is the Savior, that he is the one who will save them. It says he comes in the name of the Lord. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Now, this is language that we see uh, in Psalm chapter 118. I can't recall a verse. Uh, verse 26. And, and Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26, we see this very similar language as to what the crowd is yelling out here. And they are yelling out this praise, Hosanna. You are blessed. We are blessed. Save us. Now, as you read these different gospel accounts, you may see different different phrases that are used uh, that, that, that were yelled out in praise. But, but all of these were probably yelled out. The fact that one, uh, one author points out one versus another, again, is no contradiction. Uh, they are just simply pointing out phrases that they remembered, that they heard at that time. And you can put all four of these accounts together, and you can imagine all of these praises uh, being yelled out to Jesus Christ as he enters into town. In verse 10, it says, The coming kingdom of our father David is blessed. Now, we see that similar language that we saw a couple of weeks ago in reference to David. And some of the gospel accounts even use the language, the son of David. Now, we won't go through that in, entirely like we did a couple of weeks ago, but, but if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that phrase and the significance of that because that was a... a, a 
a scripture from the Old Testament that people were looking to the day that the son of David, that is a descendant of David, a king who was going to come and who was going to make all things right. And Jesus, of course, was that king. And so when you hear people use the phrase son of David referring to Jesus, or in this case, uh, the, the coming kingdom of our father David, what they are saying is, this is the one who is bringing David's kingdom. This is David's descendant. This is the son of David. And so this crowd recognized in the same way that the blind man recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, that the Messiah had indeed come in to town. And everything that the prophecies had talked about were being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was all coming together, and it was not all recognized in the moment. It was not even recognized by Jesus' own apostles. There were some things that they caught. There were some things that others had caught, but not everything was caught. And some of that, as John chapter 12 tells us, would only be realized later. It would only be later that the apostles, that the 12 who were with Jesus, would recognize the significance of, of this event. It all comes together when this event and the days following this event, the last week of Jesus' life, when it all comes together and when Jesus is resurrected and when he ascends to heaven, all the pieces begin to fall into place. All the old prophecies that maybe didn't make sense to people, they begin to see how Jesus fulfilled them. And once they begin to see how everything come, comes into place, it all comes full circle. God's plan had been spelled out and it had been revealed and it had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now praise the Lord, we have that whole story. We have everything. We have the Old Testament. We have this very event that we see today and we know exactly what happened in the days to come. That Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many that he was nailed to a cross and he suffered and died and gave his life as a sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven. And he was in the grave for three days, but God did not leave him there. He was resurrected and Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin and he shares that victory with you and I. Now we see Jesus. Hopefully you've seen Jesus and experienced Jesus today in this passage but the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be like the disciples and say, we are following Jesus no matter what he calls me to, no matter where he sends me, I am going to be faithful to go even if I don't understand what he's doing. You know, there's many things, you probably experienced some of these things in life, that in the moment you don't understand what's going on, but as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. You could... We could probably all think of some situation. We think, well, why did God allow this to happen? Why did he allow me to go through this? We didn't understand it at the time, but then when we look back, we think, boy, I, God knew exactly what he was doing by letting this happen, by letting that happen, by putting me here, by putting me there. And we need to be faithful like these followers of Jesus and that what he called them to do, they were faithful to do it. Now, I don't know if they understood or not, but I know that they did what he said to do, and that's what you and I need to do.
And they didn't understand in the moment everything that was going on, but afterward they did. And there will be many things that if we don't understand them in this life, we will in the life to come if we are faithful to follow Jesus. But then there were those that experienced Jesus that day. And instead of praising Jesus, they were plotting to kill Jesus. They didn't care anything about praising Jesus. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now I hope that nobody in this room would fall into that category. If you do fall into that category, I'd love to talk to you. I would encourage you to read God's Word. But I want to tell you that it's pretty reassuring to know that God is worthy of praise and He is going to get that praise even if it comes from the stones on the ground. But I don't believe it'll ever have to come from the stones on the ground because as long as there are human beings on this earth, there will be those who are God's people. There will be those who will praise God no matter the cost. And I hope that that's you and I. I hope that we are found in that group that are faithful to see that Jesus is the Messiah. We are faithful to praise Him in all that we do, that we cry out to Him in the same way that these in this story today cried out to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these good words. What a great story. And I pray that you help us to learn from and grow from this story, dear Lord. I pray that if there's any hardness in our heart, God, like what we see in the Pharisees, I pray that you would break that up. God, I pray that if there is one here today or one listening to this who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that maybe in these words today as they hear about the Messiah coming into town, that they recognize what, what took place that day. That it was not just a man on a donkey that was coming into town, but God, it was the salvation of the world. That was forgiveness of sins that was coming into town on that donkey. And God, I pray that if there's one who has not put their trust in Jesus today, that they would, that they would find that salvation comes only through him. God, I pray that we would praise you. God, we don't want to leave it up to the stones because God, we can do, we, we, we probably could do a better job, dear Lord. I hope we can and I hope we will. God, I thank you for these words. I pray that they'd be a blessing to us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.